come to the book of James, or rather the letter from James. Now, this is one of the easiest episodes to understand, but yet it is possibly the hardest episode to accept. Because it's not a doctrinal book, which is hard to understand often, but it is a practical book, which is very easy to understand, but hard to do. Now, so far, most of the books, the episodes have been largely first part, doctrinal, and then at the end, they add a practical application to the doctrines, right? But this book is almost totally practical. And that makes sense because we've had so much doctrine all the way. And God knows that we are far more inclined to sit in and in the comfort of a classroom and be a student or a spectator rather than to be go out of the comfort of the classroom and be a laborer and do because classroom may be an hour, but life is 24-7. And so this practical part affects every part of our life, our speech, our way of thinking, whether we're in the office, at home. And so, easy book, but it takes a lifetime to figure it out. Now there's almost no doctrine in this book. There's nothing about Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension, the Holy Spirit coming, nothing of that sort. In fact, some people wonder whether this is even should even have been in the Bible. And many scholars, the really scholarly type, who find this book totally uh, uh, distasteful, right? Now, frankly, this is my favorite book in the New Testament. Right? I like this book because it's so practical and basically I'm not a scholar type. I'm basically one like to, like to do something. Okay, So here we are with this book. Now, it is called a letter. But in a very real sense, when you look at it, though it begins like a letter, that doesn't seem to be a letter at all, but just a whole bunch of advice from James. There's no ending in a letter saying goodbye, greetings to people here and there. None of that sort, right? That's number one. So it doesn't even look like a episode. Number two, there's no structure in it. It's just a whole bunch of musings, of thinking. Like a, it's like old James sharing what he feels are the crystallized wisdom over the years that God has taught him. Right? So it's almost impossible to structure it. Now, we, have, we see that James took a lot of it from Proverbs, which is the practical book in the Old Testament. This is the practical book in the New Testament. And truths are truths. Humans are still the same. Sinners are still the same. He also took a lot from the Sermon on the Mount. So if you will see carefully you can smell uh, it's almost like a mixture of proverbs and the sermon on the mount right which is also in jesus practical teachings <clears throat> now who is james firstly the name james is very very strange his real name in hebrew is jacob or strictly hebrew uh, would pronounce it Jacob, right but I don't know why in the English his Jacob has become James. Right? So actually, if, if you are Chinese-speaking, you realize that Chinese do not call this the book of James. They call this the book of Yaker, which is Jacob. Right? And so, we, who is this man? Who is Jacob? Who is James? He is the half-brother of Jesus. Right? He is really the child of Joseph and Mary half-brother because Jesus is not a son of Joseph, right? And he did not believe in Jesus in the early part of his life. We can see that in John chapter 7 and verse 5. It says very clearly his brethren did not believe him. But later, interestingly enough, two of his brothers, and he had several, okay, 
one was then the other one was called Jude, and he wrote a book of Jude, the second last book of the Bible. So two of Jesus' half brothers became epistle writers. Okay, now what happened to James? James got when after the resurrection he became a very firm believer and he was one of the stalwarts, one of the pillars in the church of in Jerusalem. In fact, after Peter started to move around outside of Jerusalem to help others, to reach out to others, James became the president, I would use the word in today's terminology of the council church council in Jerusalem. That's very evident in Acts chapter 15 when Apostle Paul had to go back and settle whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised and we see James presiding at the council, right? And it was James who made this wise decision that Gentiles don't need to circumcise and because of that wise decision today the church is a universal church not a jewish cult please remember almost all religions still keep to their origins right if it comes from a certain country they uh, they all wear yellow robes there up to today they still have to wear yellow robes to be the real deal all right if they wear white robes they all now have to wear white robes okay if their language was a certain language, then all that holy language is in that language. But Christianity, on the other hand, because of James' decision that it is a universal religion, Gentiles don't need to behave like Jews, though the religion originated in Israel, right? Other religions originated a place and still have the smell of that place very strongly. None of us have the smell of being Jewish at this point of time, whether by dress or culture, music or the way we eat, right? Now, when we see in Acts chapter 15, we will find that James knew the scripture very well. He probably learned the Old Testament very well, probably because of Mary. Mary probably was a godly mum. And we see in Acts 15, 13, verses 13 to 15, he quotes the Old Testament verbally, all right? So obviously he knew the Old Testament very well. Now James was called James the Just. Church history tells us that because he was a very just man, a very good man. Now, the church in Jerusalem was heavily persecuted, it was horrendously persecuted, and so poor James had a tough life, right? Being persecuted literally daily by the Jewish establishment who rejected Jesus as the Messiah, right? Now, when during a, he was killed, he was denied a martyr during the time when there was a break between two Roman governors. You know, Jerusalem was under a Roman governor. When one governor died, they had to replace that governor. There was a gap. And during that gap, the Jewish establishment uh, persecuted the church, brought James to the top of the pinnacle of the temple, same place where they brought, they, where Satan wanted to bring Jesus. He brought James there and asked him, to say, if you deny Jesus, we won't throw you down. If you don't deny, we'll throw you down. And James, this is what church history says, James said, I see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. And of course, then they threw him down from the pinnacle, but he didn't die. He was just badly wounded, and they started to throw rocks at him as he was lying on the floor and his bones being broken, he just lay there and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And one of the men there felt so sorry for him, he took a big wooden club and whacked him on the head and he died. Then when the disciples decided to take his body for burial, as they lifted up his robes, you know, to wash him ceremonially before they buried him, they found his knees were looking like camel's knees. In other words, there were so many calluses and thickness on his knees 
because he had spent literally more time on his knees than on his feet. He was a man of prayer, right? He, he, called, he had camel knees, they call it, okay? So that's the kind of man we are going to read his wisdom, okay? So let's see who he wrote to. He wrote to the 12 tribes that are scattered. In other words, he wrote to the Jewish diaspora. At this time, most of the Jews, because of the bad conditions under the Romans, had migrated and covered most of the known Roman world. So there were more Jews outside Israel than inside. Same situation today, okay? After uh, the exile, Jews moved into exile very easily. This time it's not forced exile, it was we maybe call it economic exile. So they moved everywhere and they were very successful. As you know today, the Jews are still successful wherever they go. However you persecute them, they make lots of money. So they became tradesmen, they became all kinds of trades. They were carpenters, they were tailors, they were jewelers, and of course they were money lenders too, right? Well, largely, up to today, the Jews are the bankers of the world. One of the history is that uh, the Christian world at one time did look down on money lenders who made money on usury, and the Jews filled the gap. And up to today, most big bankers have Jewish backgrounds, or big banks have Jewish uh, backgrounds. So they were very rich, right? And one problem, of course, when they were rich, they had the problems of the rich people. Secondly, they were also very assimilated into the liberal cultures they lived in, pagan cultures, right? So uh, James, very concerned for them, wrote this letter to whoever would read this letter that was circulated around to warn the Jews, right? Because he looked at it from a different perspective. He was in Jerusalem, seeing how liberal and how far they had gone from their roots, okay? So let's begin straight away by seeing um, um, the teachings in James. There's no real structure. James chapter 1 seems to be like an introduction to the entire chapter. Gems of wisdom about life. Then from chapter 2 to chapter 5, you'll find 12 lessons okay, that James wants each of these people to know. Now, while we see this is a letter to the Jews, I can assure you this is a very practical letter to most of us because most of the hearers that I'm talking to are also successful people, right? People who listen to me generally are the middle class or the upper middle class, and they are successful people. So we are very much like the Jews in the diaspora. We have succeeded in life. We are materialistic. Right? We are very much influenced by the world around us. So this is not a Jewish letter. This is a very practical. In fact, anybody could read this letter all right? and, uh, and appreciate whether middle class or not. But that's for those who have succeeded in life. Look, look at chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Note he never makes advantage of the fact he is a brother. Okay, he didn't say that because he realizes Jesus is really the son of God and the son of man, not just son of Joseph and Mary. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And that's the only part that looks like the letter, the rest doesn't. But verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or shall we use the word? endurance. Let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. So number one he begins in saying that because he's going through trials. So he's telling you I go through trials, I count it all joy because it teaches me something very important in life. It's called endurance. Alright? Anybody who wants to succeed in life, I don't care whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, you need this thing called endurance. Alright? To finish what you begin, however difficult it is. So count it 
a joy that you're going through this because it's training you stamina training, right? Life for stamina training. I want you to note another word there. It says it may in chapter verse four that you may be perfect and complete. The word perfect here is the word I think um, wholesome. Every right? that means you are completed. You can be brilliant. You can be a uh, articulate, you don't have endurance, you're not a completed guy. You you never amount to anything in life, right? So let's look at verse, uh, and you'll find the word perfect seven times. It's very interesting, okay? The word perfect is, seven is the number of perfection. Let's look at chapter, uh, verse 5 to verse 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Alright, second thing. You want to succeed in life? You need wisdom. How do you get wisdom? Okay, Ask. Never be ashamed to ask. And ask in faith without doubting. Because God wants all of us to be wise. So, there are some things you ask wondering whether God will hear. God make me the most popular guy, the most handsome guy. You, you, God may not even listen. God make me wise. Of course, God will hear that. So, number two, lesson in life. Learn to ask for wisdom. Okay? Guaranteed. Ask in confidence. Okay? Very available. Look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, Right? Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So he says, number three lesson, God is more equal than you think. Right? The poor guy, he looks poor, but God has exalted him. What do you mean God exalted He's got the same future as the rich guy eternally. Right? He's got the same father. He's got everything. He may look at less in his wallet, but actually he's exalted. And the rich guy looks super rich, it is loaded with money, but don't get too impressed because that money can disappear like that, his health can disappear like that in a second, right? But the poor guy has eternal reward and also the rich guy. The real, the, the substantial facts are not different. It's the show that looks different, one seems to have more. But the truth is, in real solid things, both have the same. God is more equal than you think. Right? Number verse 12 to verse 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, when, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted evil. He himself tempts no one, but each one is tempted and is lured and enticed by his own desire. Alright, I want you to know the difference between being tested and tempted. God tests us to show us our weaknesses so we work harder and get better. That's why a test for all schools have tests. You always think you know a lot until the test comes. Oh, I didn't know it so much. So God puts us through tests. You think a lot of faith. Then when God puts you a test, oh, you don't have faith. You think a lot of love. Then when God puts you a test, you realize your love very little. Right? So God tests us. Testing, the goal of testing is for your improvement. The devil tempts us. He may put the same thing there, but his goal is different. His goal is not for you to improve, for you to fall. Right? So whenever you face something, it could be, you have to look at it, is it a test to make you stronger or a temptation to make you fall? Okay, so different motivation. But it tells us very interestingly in verse 14, okay, in verse 14, you are tempted not by Satan, by your own lust. What do you mean by that? Let's say Satan were to tempt me with something like a beautiful watch. Right? A watch that people think makes them look like James Bond or something like that. If you were to tempt me with a watch, it won't work. I could care less what watch I wear. I got this watch as a giveaway. Right? Now, why 
it doesn't work on me. That temptation cannot work unless I have the lust in me to look rich. Then that temptation will work. So basically, when Satan tempts you, you didn't fall because of Satan's beautiful temptation. You fell because you got lust inside you. All right. So don't blame Satan whenever you fall. All right. You have your own problem inside. Okay, we go on. These are just very gem truths, I call it. Huh? Verse 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Alright? Another truth. Slow, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Isn't that a problem for all of us? Especially rich people successful people they don't like to listen they think they know it all it's very hard to be sucks rich and not feel you know everything right when you're rich you think you're smart when you're smart why should i listen to anyone i should be giving advice okay so you find poorer people tend to be more quiet or less successful people i would say more quiet but those who are successful just love to talk so just be careful right and successful people are very quick to anger because anything doesn't work their way, right? They think the person is stupid and didn't do it the right way, okay? So be careful. All these are things very practical, all right, for us, okay? Let's, let's look at verse uh, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Some of you say, no, 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 no. I'm actually hear I don't talk that much okay but it says here but if anyone is a hearer of the word not a doer verse 23 he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away once forgets what he was like now many people say I'm a hearer but actually they're not they're just polite they don't really listen they pretend to listen when they go away, they forgot what they heard. Just like a guy looking in a mirror and saw his hair is not in place. He, then after a while, he went back and forgot to comb it. He didn't really, he forgot that his hair was not in place. Right? So when you're a hearer, be a listener. Okay? There's a world of difference. Huh? You hear with the ear, you listen with what is between the ears. That's called your brain. <clears throat> right? Then finally, in verse 26 and 27, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Right? So he says here, if a man says he's religious but he keeps talking and talking, right? He's not religious. It's not religious. Funny, huh? There's a lot of people who seem very religious in the world, but according to James, he is not religious. Wow. It's a very high standard, okay? And number two, he says the real religion, how do you know whether a guy is religious, whether he can keep talking and teaching, teaching, teaching you, and arguing and telling all the latest doctrines, or he is a guy that spends time visiting the poor and needy. If he spends time visiting the poor and needy, then he is really religious. Wow. <laughs> a lot of religious people. I, the world thinks that religious are not religious at all. Okay? All. I repeat that. Because they spend all their time talking at seminars. Huh? I, I, I fear for myself sometimes, all right? that I am going to be like this so-called religious people. Huh? So people say, PC is very religious, makes me nervous because we have different, the wrong standard of measurement. Mm. Chapter 2 verses, okay, now we come to, from chapter 2 to chapter 5, there are actually 12 lessons. I wanted to mark them one by one. Lesson number 1 is found in chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. Okay, It tells us, that we tend to favor the rich. We look up to the rich. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into the assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing. Number one, 
present, be careful about being partial. Okay, in other words, giving favor to the rich. Now, I think every church in Singapore, including my church, right, consciously or subconsciously is committing this sin. We always favor the rich. You find the poor are neglected, the poor are ignored, the rich are always welcome, high, and brought to the nice seats, right? Then it goes on in verse 5 to say, verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? Wow, remember this is a good lesson, okay? If you want to have your ministry really prosperous, focus on the poor because they are rich in faith, <laughs> all right? One reason why churches grow very, very slowly is because we focus on the wealthy. Huh? And because, of course, your offerings grow fast, but your church grows slowly. Then if look at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So when you show partiality, it's a sin in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Which is your neighbor, the Samaritan, yes, whoever, right? So it's a sin to show partiality. Remember that, guys. That's not lesson one. Lesson two, verse, uh, verses 14 to 26, and this is the controversial part of James. Some people say James teaches that we are saved by works. These people do not know how to read the Bible, all right? They don't understand. They don't even read, all right? James teaches in uh, chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can you underline the word that faith? All right? The faith that he says he has. It's not faith. It's that type of faith. Please, please underline that. All right? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? Is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he's saying about that kind of faith. The man says, I got faith, I got faith. But he doesn't do anything to help anyone. Right? Now, that guy is saying he has faith, but he doesn't. I want you to also note in verse 14, if someone says, S-A-Y-S, he says he has faith. He doesn't have faith. He says, all right? Then we go on. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. I want you to underline the word, show me, I show you, right? Here God, here James is saying, I cannot see your faith. I'm sorry, I cannot peep into your heart and see whether you really believe. But you have to show me your faith. I don't have x-ray eyes. Show me by your works. Then I will show you my faith by my works. So James is not saying, right, that we are saved by works. James is still saying we are saved by faith. Except we, we cannot see your faith. We can only see the evidence of your faith, which is works. Because the real faith that we have produces works. Apostle Paul keeps saying that. We are God's workmanship, created unto good works. We are not saved by works. We are saved for works. Our salvation, our true faith in Christ, produces Christ-likeness. And Christ-likeness is doing good works. If you ever read the Gospels, you understand what I am saying. I'm very angry with people who say James teaches that we are not saved by faith, we are saved by works. They don't understand English. This is, someone says I have faith. All right? 
can that kind of faith save you? What kind of faith? Faith with no works. That's not faith, all right? So please help understand why I'm so angry because up to today, people can't even explain this, okay? And then he goes on to say about Abraham in verse 21. So I hope you just understand. It's too simple. Eh? Uh, can you see my faith? Can I see your faith? Oh, you got faith. How do I know? You have to show me. But God can see. If I'm on the cross, I'm nailed. I have no chance to do anything. God can see whether I have faith or not. God doesn't say, oh, you come down from the cross. Let me see your works. God can see your heart. I can't. Right? So James is saying, show me. Me. Ordinary man, all right? Verse 21. Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? How do you know Abraham had, had faith? You, I'm not talking about God. How do you know? He offered his son, all right? Then, what about Rahab? How do you know Rahab had faith? He used verse 25. Huh? The same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. She risked her life to protect the Jewish spies. How do you know she had faith? She risked her life, okay? So, what is James saying? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Alright? If I, if I see a, a person lying on the bed, how do I know he's alive? He must have breathing, lah, okay? If he can't, if he's not breathing, I say he's dead. He said the man's alive. He looks alive. I say, how do you know? He looks alive. My friend told me he's alive. I said, you stupid. Uh. See whether he's breathing. If there's no breath in him, he's dead. How do you know that man has faith? I don't know. But if I don't see works, I don't believe he has faith. Right? So faith without works is dead. A body without breath, let me tell you, is dead as a doctor, okay? So this is something so simple, and yet it seems to be a controversy with umpteen Christians up to now. Just read words like he says, that faith, show me, I show you. It's nothing to do with God and our, whether God sees whether we have faith, right? If God sees we have faith, it's good enough, whosoever believes. But I can't see that, all right, uh, sorry to be overly emotional uh, because there are people who still go on and on. Uh, <clears throat> chapter, okay, so that's the second lesson. Uh, the first lesson, if you talk you have faith, please check your faith, whether it's real or not, right? Just by going to Sunday school every week, going to church every week, doesn't mean you have faith. Chapter 3, lesson number 3 on the tongue not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that okay so it tells us we like to talk right but it tells us be careful of the tongue chapter 3 verse 4 look at the ships also though they are so large and driven by strong winds that guided a very small rudder uh, wherever the will of the pilot directs so also the tongue is a small member that it boasts of great things. How great a fire forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Watch your tongue. They can cause huge problems in life. Most many problems in life are caused by one careless, unnecessary word. It goes on for years. People are unhappy with you. You said something you didn't even realize. Okay? The tongue, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Be careful on your tongue. What must you do? Ask God for grace to control your tongue. Okay? Lesson number, that was lesson number 3, lesson number 4. Chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Verse 13. 
but by his good conduct let him show his works in meekness of wisdom but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false of the truth this is not wisdom that comes from above two kinds of wisdom there's an earthly wisdom that says grab get more you will be that kind is full of ambition and causes full of problems and there is a wisdom from above that causes great peace look at verse 17 hmm? all right verse 16 first where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder in every vile practice so wisdom from this world causes you to grab cause to be jealousy etc wisdom from above verse 17 but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable gentle full of mercy etc and good works so there's another wisdom that gives you great peace wisdom that tells you, you don't need to grab everything just trust god god will provide right and you have peace you sleep well every night and you different kind of two kinds of wisdom in other words huh all right there's a false wisdom or the worldly wisdom and there is a godly wisdom that's lesson number four lesson number five go to chapter four i'm just running through these are just practical things you don't need a lot of explanation you read it you'll figure it out okay chapter four verses one to ten tells us about worldliness and godliness okay chapter 4 verse 1 what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire you do not have so you murder you covet you cannot obtain so you fight you quarrel right so it tells us there's one kind of behavior the worldly behavior is grab grab conquer right be number one right and there's another kind of attitude in life that gives you so much more peace verse 8 draw near to god he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double-minded right don't try to live half worldly and half godly don't be double-minded you really want peace you really want success right you want things to be have the full life God wants for you. Draw near to God. Move away from the worldly way of thinking, the worldly mindset. <laughs> All right? Paul, James is writing to the Jews who have become very worldly, very materialistic. He's also writing to us who think, right, very much. Our thinking is like the world. That's the truth. Right? And once a week, we go to church and get a little bit of knock. And then the rest of the week, seven days, six days a week, we become worldly. And then we get a little bit of adjustment on Sunday. Now, who wins? Of course, the world will win because we have imbibed with magazines and, and talk of the world, right? So, but it says, draw near to God. Fill your mind with godly things. You will find real peace in that. That's lesson number five. Lesson number six in verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil one against another, brothers. Don't slander. You know, one of the ways the world moves up is to push others down. One way, you know, the way everybody in the world wants to get up, either financially or reputation or popularity. And what happens is he slanders others. Okay? That's a faster way than try to move up is to push someone down. Okay, so be careful of that that's lesson number six lesson number seven very very common found in chapter 4 verse 13 to 17 is boasting come now you who say today tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town spend a year there trade and make a profit uh, this is how successful people talk i mean i have already three successes so i ah, open my next branch my next business sure succeed you know i've already got experience okay so we say okay let's do this you know and we forget that that's arrogance because you never know okay god could pull it right down uh, one pandemic one COVID, and all the riches of the world and god to nothing all right that's lesson number seven lesson number eight 
chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten. Wow, sounds very much like the pandemic we are in now. All the rich people who have lived it up think that everything is made. I'm secure. Suddenly the whole world collapsed. All the aeroplanes you own are worthless. All the hotels you own are worthless, totally worthless. In fact, there are a millstone around your neck now, okay? And it says here, not only you are proud, but it says here that you live at the expense of the poor. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. Oftentimes, we become rich, right, by exploiting the poor. Okay? Verse 5, You have lived on earth, on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Okay? Does it sound familiar? <laughs> A lot of the Christians in our churches, right, are like that. Very, very living, really luxurious lives. Houses so huge, I don't know for what. Okay? Having to have all kinds of luxury around them. You know? For what? You mean that's going to satisfy you? Yeah, for an hour, two hours, three hours, you know? But really, can that bring real satisfaction? Ask the pop stars and the celebrity stars who hang themselves and take pills and take alcohol. Does it ever bring real satisfaction? Lesson number 9, verses chapter 5, verse 7 to 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Right? Successful people like one thing called patience. <laughs> they are very impatient, unlike the farmer. The farmer knows that you grow a crop, you just have to wait, buddy, before it comes out. A durian tree, wait five, six, seven years, right? A uh, businessman wants it very, very fast. And he thinks the Lord's coming also must come at his, at his time, his business plan, right? Be patient, right? Learn Patience, rich man. Learn patience, successful man. Wow, that's a tough lesson. Lesson number 10. Verses 12. Uh, lesson number 10. Verse 12. Just one verse. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other word, but let it yes be yes, no be no. Alright? So, don't, take, don't swear this, swear that, swear this. Huh? A lot of people, their language is swearing. Swearing is a mark that you don't know how to be honest. Because if you're honest, man, you say, yes, I'll do it, it's good enough, people will believe you, right? But you're not honest, you have to say, swear, I will really do it. Because normally a yes doesn't, is not real. You have to swear, then people will believe you, right? So the, the more you have to swear, it is simply a result of you having this honest uh, reputation. Now, uh, that's our lesson number 10. Lesson number 11, right? Chapter 5, verse 13 to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, what happens in wealthy people? They always believe they can do it. Even when they're suffering, they figure out, I can pull myself out of this. I'm a self-made man. No. First thing is pray, not first thing is look to yourself. Okay? Now, learn to pray, but I want to see here a controversial part in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, the Lord will raise him up. Now, this is used by hucksters, eh? religious hucksters, to sell oil. Okay, they, they, they make little bottles of oil worth about five cents of oil in it and then they put their hand over it and get a video and they pray over the oil and they sell the oil for the five cents becomes uh, 500 times more value because of their, their raising of their hands and some words in the name of God. Alright, this has got nothing to do with oil. Please look carefully, right? Again, 
Please look carefully. Anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. What does that mean? If you have to call for the elders of the church, what does that mean? The guy can't go to church now, obviously, right? He can't go to where the elders are, so the elders have come. So he's basically a bedridden man, right? You see, yeah, is that really so? Yeah, because he says, let them pray over him. He's lying down, okay? Normally, if a guy is well, he stands before you. Come, let's pray. You hold hands, you pray, finish. You don't pray over him, okay? So he's lying on the bed. The elders are there. They have to visit this bedridden man and they pray over him, okay? And then it says here, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Ah, magic oil. Chance to sell magic oil. You know, profiteers like to always find an opportunity, right? So is this about magic oil that will heal him? Please read on her. Please read on her. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. So what is the thing that works? The oil? Or is it the prayer who then moves God to raise him up? Please look carefully. Did he say, and the oil will raise him up? And the oil will make the prayer effective? Or is it prayer that moves the hands of God? Then you say, what's the oil for? Yeah, as elders, please remember this. We as elders of the church are not just so spiritual. We see someone lying on the bed. When I'm an elder, I'm a doctor, I go there. I see someone on the bed. What do I do? I just say pray and I walk away. No, this book James is practical. Do something you can. As a, past, as a doctor, I'm a doctor. I'm also a pastor. I go there. Before I even pray, I give advice. I will tell this man, this is how you massage his leg. This is what you should do. This is the position. All right. I do what I can with my wisdom, with my hands. And then I pray. Do your best do the, and let God do the rest. <clears throat> All right. So the oil is not some magic oil. In those days, of course, they don't have uh, injections. They don't have all kinds of pills to take. 90% of illnesses will heal with, with oil by rubbing. Like today in tribal societies, you're sick, what do you do? They find something to rub you with, okay? So basically, the elders will not just go there and be so spiritual, just pray and say, uh, well, let's pray, and then walk off. No, do what they can. So they went there, they brought some oil, they massaged this man, he's been lying in bed, he's like bedridden, okay? So I hope you get it. Secondly, we see here, they didn't call for faith healers. They didn't bring this man to the stadium to be healed. Okay? They called elders of the church, not magic men from somewhere, flown in for some show. No. Okay? So God's means when you're really sick, call for the elders of the church. He didn't say just call for the elders with magic means. Elders with great gifts of healing. Just call for the elders. Get it? All right? So it's very plain, these things. And then we go on. That's lesson number 11 and lesson number 12. Okay, lesson number 11. Now, let me just end up with one more verse in verse 15. And if he has committed, uh, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins one to one another and pray for one another that he may be healed. This is used by some people to say, we teach confession, you come and confess to the priest. I'm sorry, I can't even find that in this verse. My eyeballs must be wrong. Confess to one another, lah, not you confess to one man, right? And then the man never confessed to you. No, this has got nothing to do with confession, right? This has got to do with us getting right with one another. And then lesson number 12, the last one, chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. My brothers, if anyone about you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whosoever brings back the sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What's our job? Number 12. 
someone's fall, fallen away, restore the guy, all right? Don't say, he should help himself. What's wrong with him, right? This is how successful people always like to look down on those who are struggling. Go and help him to be restored. So we see 12 very practical lessons, okay? And I hope this will bless you. I hope your Christianity is not about all the doctrines. I hope your Christianity is about doctrines that work. We are safe for good works. Don't tell me you're a man of faith if I don't see good works. I see talk, 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 teach, teach, teach. I don't see a man of faith. I see a man whose salvation I question seriously because looking smart is not a mark of Christianity. Trying to look smart is definitely not a mark. But being humble, going out and helping the helpless is a clear mark of Christianity. So James is not a book light, right? It is a book ignored by most churches. But I hope you will focus on this book because it shows you your God who works, your Christ who serves the poor, went out day by day doing all these things, restoring, helping people, right, with every means available. What a wonderful God, what a wonderful world this would be if we all reflected this God. May God bless your reading of the book of James.